Hello and thanks for joining me. You're listening to LockPod, which is powered by LockBox. My name's Katie Ringsdor. So this week, I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by Rosie Turner from Fintech for All and in chorus. How would you prefer to be uh, introduced, Rosie? Perhaps you should do your own introduction. Yeah, no, it's a great question. I um, I definitely have two hats on there, so happy to kind of talk to you both. I guess to begin with, I am the co-founder of Inchorus and co-CEO, and Inchorus essentially is a tech for good business that's focused on how do we help companies, and I guess critically industries, to kind of re-engineer their approach to inclusion um, by ensuring that they have the data that enables them to kind of understand what some of their challenges are and how they can take more targeted action. Um, so as in Chorus, we actually work across a couple of different industries, fintech and financial services definitely being one. And fintech for all is specifically the work that we're consequently doing there that is really focusing on how are we working with um, organizations across the fintech sector in, in order to um, essentially create a more inclusive fintech environment? And uh, I'm also really excited to introduce Bea Gelder, who's uh, the chief of staff at Lockbox. I've invited Bea on because she's got loads of experience uh, in this kind of stuff, far more than me, actually. So, Bea, why don't you uh, introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you, uh, Katie. Uh, so, I'm, I'm relatively new to Lockbox, so I am the uh, chief of staff. So my role is a a really varied and exciting uh, one. So I essentially support the the C-suite in various programs and initiatives that they're doing that perhaps don't necessarily fit into another function in the organization, um, but are really, really important either, um, you know, kind of for the growth and kind of success of the business or to the CEOs and kind of the general lockbox family. Um, so that might mean I'm working on strategies, how to break into a new market or find the blind spots in um, lock in the US for, for our kind of expansion there. Um, and equally means I get to get involved in uh, things like this and talk to Rosie and kind of be involved in how we can really implement the advice and guidance and spirit of fintech for all. That's so thanks for having me. No, thank you for joining us. I'm really, really pleased. It's quite interesting. It'll be the first time we've done one uh, quite like this. So it's quite exciting for me, actually. So, Rosie, um, perhaps I'll start with you. You've mentioned the charter itself, which is how we met, because obviously, uh, you know, you, you went out there to kind of try and get businesses involved in this FinTech for All charter. You've explained what it's about. But what surprised me a lot, the more we've kind of spoken about it, is how uh, internally focused it is, actually. And, it, you know, I, I think you guys touch on inclusivity for mm. FinTech generally but it's more about kind of holding the mirror up to yourselves internally isn't it can you give me a little bit more detail about the thought process behind the charter yeah definitely I think that's um it's actually really great to hear you kind of pick up on that point because I think it's definitely something that was really um critical to us that this is you know isn't just something that companies see as a tick box exercise or something that is done as a bit of a kind of PR stunt um but actually that is something that has you know, real kind of data action and, like you say, that kind of reflection and, and self-work um, behind it. So what where we kind of started was we believe that um, when it comes to inclusion, the, a lot most companies understand the, the importance of it. So, you know, that it's really, really necessary in order to enable diverse talent to thrive, in order to create a culture where people want to work, but that actually, um, whilst there's a huge amount of goodwill around that word, there's a real lack of understanding as to like what do we actually do? You know, how do we translate that kind of goodwill into into action? 
Um, and I think that's been really challenging for a number of reasons. One very much being we still don't have a kind of agreement around what a data set or a way to measure or, or think about that is. And so that for us is really at the root of Syntex All. We wanted to start with this piece of research that was looking into how do we how do we help both the industry but then also companies to think about what is our actual culture like? What is the like the lived experience for a different demographic groups? Um, so not, you know, the culture in terms of the values that are on the wall or the CEO statement. Um, and all of these things obviously are, are have an important role to play, but actually looking at the everyday behaviours, comments, actions, seeing what is tolerated day in, day out, and using that to say, you know, when we look in the mirror at the bottom line, it, it, you know, it's those behaviours that are shaping the culture. So we kind of began with a piece of research that was helping the industry to understand some of the most, uh, I guess, uh, challenging behaviours there, but then also really encouraging companies off the back of that to take action. So for us, um, like I say, we kind of began with this research piece that showed that there were considerable um, levels still of kind of everyday sexism, everyday racism that was affecting individuals within the sector. And then the charter was really created with our partners um, in response to that. So we were looking at what are kind of five very accessible but um, high impact asks that we can, you know, hopefully engage syntax of all different shapes and sizes. And and what we do with with those syntax, I think, is really important. And speak to that point is that when we begin to work with a signatory, um, we will spend a little bit of time understanding kind of where they are on their diversity infusion journey. You know, because there is a huge spectrum. We're working with uh, some quite small syntax and also some, some very large ones. Um, you know, to say, where are you? What are your unique challenges? And then how can we begin to support you um, in, in kind of designing an action plan through those? Um, yeah, so I think it's definitely that kind of leaning into data to understand the challenges and then using that data to drive action. And then over time, measuring to see if that action has an impact is definitely the kind of the root of the way that we're trying to approach this. Yeah, and that comes across really well, actually. And B, in a moment, I'm going to come on to you and ask you a little bit about your background and, you know, the, the stuff that you've done in the past. But before I do that, Rosie, obviously, you've started to have these conversations with companies. Do you feel like, um, and obviously, I'm not expecting you to name names or, or anything like that, but do you feel that people or businesses are actually honest about the information they give you? Or do you think there's an element of self-protection and a bit of, uh, you know, ostrich head in the sand kind of approach? Or, or do you think you're getting a true picture so far? Again, great question. Um, so I think this this is something that I'm very passionate about generally, actually, because uh, I've been running in Forest for nearly two years, and there, there's been a conversation that is full of gaps, I think. <laughs> the word gap comes to mind regularly. And I think initially there was this huge gap between what companies were saying they were doing and what they were actually doing. That was definitely um, a painful one, and that still exists. Uh, to some extent, but we've seen a huge shift in the last, I think, year even between companies um, beginning to realise that that mindset of sweeping, trying to sweep things under the rug, isn't a solution anymore. And I think certainly um, from our perspective, kind of post post Black Lives Matter, the whole movement there again, we've seen a radical shift in in the way that people teams and HR teams are really beginning to say, actually, you know what, just talking about this isn't enough. We've got to lean into action and really doing something. Um, so we're seeing the gap, I think, begin to move in the right direction and close out, which is really positive. But 
we definitely see still, I guess what could almost be seen as like a perception gap. Um, and Accenture actually did some really interesting research around this, but it was looking at, you know, so often when you ask uh, senior leadership about how everything's going, they're like, oh, everything's fine, have a very positive view of what, what the culture is. Um, but then the reality of what lived experience might be for different groups is often not necessarily the same. It can be a, a kind of perception gap, a, a disconnect. And I think for us, that's something that we're really um, kind of focused on. It's like how do we help companies to really understand from lots of different perspectives what's going on? Um, and I think we've definitely got to the point where where a lot more companies are really willing to to look for where they may have those gaps or kind of blind spots almost. Um, and there's more awareness around that, but I think we definitely still have a long way to go to really like truly inviting those different perspectives into the conversation and shaping initiatives that kind of really affect it as a result. So. Yeah, we've made progress, but further to go, I think. Yeah, and, and it goes back to what you were saying earlier about it not being a tick box exercise. You know, you have to really want to to be honest with yourself to actually make a difference, mm. to have a, have a greater impact. Uh, B, you and I have spoken about this sort of thing, you know, often because you and I, you know, I think we mm-hmm. kind of share a lot of uh, similar um approaches to, to the way we feel about diversity and inclusion, certainly within the workplace with your experiences. So, how have you seen this in the past and why do you think it's important for businesses like Lockbox, but also, you know, from your, from your other experiences to actually sit back and think about things to actually take action? What have you, what have you seen? Yeah, of course. Um, I suppose I'll break that into two questions. I suppose, why is it important? It's, it's beyond it just being the right thing to do, you know, the morally right thing to do. Um, what feels good and and how we all kind of want the world, well, many of us want the world to be. Um, I think for Lockbox in particular and and smaller kind of startup companies, I think it's important to be thinking about it at this stage because we've got an opportunity to build in the kind of culture that that we want to still be able to have and, and be proud of when when we're bigger. Um, and I think, you know, on the tick box exercise, I think it's very easy to have policies in place, but actually your employees not really know where to go if, for example, they're being bullied or they're feeling uncomfortable in certain scenarios. Um, and it's how you get everybody in the business thinking about diversity, about inclusion um, and feeling safe and supported. Um, and I think ultimately, as a rapidly growing company, that's having that diversity and creating the space for genuine inclusion is how you're going to innovate amazing products and have amazing teams and ultimately produce something that you as a business can be really proud of and an industry can be really proud of and that will be well received. Thinking about my experiences, I mean, as a human navigating the work world, I've had some horrible ones, of course. Um, I had a, a, a brush with recruitment which has essentially led to me doing a lot of internal recruitment by accident in, in businesses I've been in and you know it, it's true to say that there is the overt discrimination of please don't we can't afford maternity so you know can you confirm the relationship status of candidates I put forward under the assumption that you know a 30 something a uh, woman in a relationship with a mortgage may well be thinking about children soon and that being considered a blocker for hiring. Um, 
I think to also the very kind of subtle um, part of recruitment and hiring from a diversity perspective where you tend to look at what works and replicate it. So you then create a job description that is for a particular person. You search CVs for that particular person. You create an interview process that suits that particular person. And I think that can be really easy to fall into. And I know that I have done that in, in the past. And it's something that as, as businesses, you can um, I think put some really simple strategies in place. Have two or three people involved in writing job descriptions and job specifications, potentially post two job adverts, you know, remove names from CVs or even education, because I think generational diversity is, is something that can be um, overlooked. And, and I think it's, it's very easy. It's not difficult. You look at the date somebody left school, you, you know, you get your fingers out, you count and you go, oh, well, actually, we've got a really high energy enthusiastic sales team and already you're putting in these subtle um, blockers that may pre prevent you from hiring somebody in their 50s who's going to be fantastic at the job and, and really kind of change the, the culture and drive it forward. I think there's loads that can be done and I think it's, it's inclusion I think is the step that I'm really interested in, in hearing about because it's how you lift that off paper and outside of the training and really, really take the, the steps and put the plans into place to make sure that, you know, you, you not just have a, have a great diverse meeting so you can see your numbers, you've got women in leadership and you've got a really diverse group of people that actually, you know, people are really feeling included and, and that's kind of continuing to grow. Yeah, and, and you know, I thought that was really interesting what you said about recruitment, um, because there is an unconscious bias and we do, you know, humans, we make assumptions, rightly or wrongly, whether we like to think we're good people or not, we do do it. I think everybody does. Rosie, what more can we be doing at that earlier stage to stop that and actually step away and I mean looking at fintech specifically I mean you see a much greater proportion of men working within the fintech space than you do women um, and that's by nature of the fact of the split and certainly within you know in a financial institution you can have a, I think a fairly varied gender I'm speaking gender specifically right now but a gender split because of the nature of the roles whereas in fintech you see a lot more of the kind of DevOps size coders which is a, a far more male oriented uh, part of the business what more can be done at the recruitment stage to increase diversity mm, I think it's a yeah it's super important and super interesting and I think it is definitely um, a question that we hear a lot and, and it's it's something that I we've recently kind of experienced even just the pain point of as in chorus we've been hiring we've been hiring tech roles and I've been astonished to go through that process myself and realize you know we had hundreds of applications and so few um, women for tech roles, and it, it really is still challenging. I think, um, I mean, for early stage companies, there's definitely kind of as, as we were saying, you know, I think being aware of it is, is actually a key part of the problem. Being really aware of it really early on, realizing who you are, understanding more culture, like what your individual biases may be, um, and trying to put in place structured processes early on that protect us against the biases that we all have um, so I think there's there's a key part there um, there's then definitely just you know as part of those kind of foundational uh, stepping stones essentially also making sure that that the, the 
uh, kind of job description itself is written in a way that hopefully um, appeals more to um, other candidates. Um, I know there are various kind of tools that you can process jobs sooner. We'll look at kind of the language you're using and how how it might uh, be kind of um, better worded, and then reaching out widely, looking for um, job boards and communities where you can share that in, in order to try and um, kind of like boost that access. But it is a really difficult one because ultimately it goes back to, you know, a way earlier problem uh, right down. You know, it starts, with, it starts in schools, it progresses into universities, and then it filters out into the, into the world. And I think this is something actually that as in chorus, we're, we're kind of looking at a lot. It's how do those micro behaviours that, you know, when we're talking about inclusion, collect, connect to some of these macro challenges that we have, like systemic racism, systemic racism. So often, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at these really messy problems and kind of zooming in on part of them, but they, they really are um, kind of hugely complex. So uh, as FinTech rule, we have a steering committee where uh, kind of innovate finance, the FDA, Fintech Alliance number 39 sit and um, I know uh, Innovate Finance has recently done some really great work with uh, Fintech for Schools um, which is really looking at this challenge of how how can we increase uh, kind of early early access and mentorship and then try and encourage I guess greater diversity coming into the future. Um, so I think that's all super important from the recruitment side and then the piece that we're then really focusing on is how do we also think about the culture because I think people subconsciously have that perception coming in of oh you know I don't know instinctively maybe I'm not going to belong here I don't see as many people that look like me and um, those cultures can very much become kind of self self-perpetuating to you so again a lot of the work that we're looking to do around gathering data around these list experiences is how can we really understand what's going on there um, so that we can hopefully improve that and, and certainly um, retain talent that does join because that's another challenge we see is people throwing diversity at the problem of diversity if that makes sense you know hiring it not retaining it and then having to hire it again um, and we're saying well actually how do we really make sure that we're building this you know far more inclusive culture where hopefully um we don't undo kind of the good work that is being done yeah and i you know i thought it was really interesting what you just said there um about you know going back to the schools but it's also making me think about the future you know if we go back to where the problems perhaps start and challenge those i then think you know further down the line when all of this good work's done what does good look like when when will this no longer be something that that yeah. we're having a discussion about i mean do either of you have a view on that perhaps b do you want to start such a big question um and i and i think it i think it's easy to step back and all of a sudden feel overwhelmed at what that might actually look like you know it i think rosie you are um so right in thinking about say gender specific inclusion and, and, and I've been there trying actively to bring females into a company, amazing companies that are desperate for female, uh, female talent and not being able to find that talent or, and, and if that is that case, is that the case? You know, I think there's been some studies recently of statistics of asking teenagers, you know, their expected careers and, and it's actually happening far beyond any consideration of whether you know, they're actually applying for, for roles. Um, if I'm completely honest, I don't, 
I was talking to my partner last night. That I don't know. There's part of me that thinks, is it ever going to happen? Mm. That's, the, that's it. That, it, it, it. It really does feel like that. But Rosie, go ahead. Yeah, no, I think, I think it's a, it is a really, it's a very, um, it's quite an uncomfortable thing to actually stare at. Like, how does this really, you know, when you look at some of those stats here, you look at, what like hundreds of years to close within the pay gap and even what you know we haven't even started on an ethnicity pay gap yet um like you say we know that biases discrimination are, are kind of baked into our society so early on and actually uh, a lot of this kind of sparks again quite recently for me and it's slightly different but i guess parallel case with um um and you know, the kind of tragic disappearance and ultimately murder and, and again this kind of outcry of, of in this specifically women you know talking about safety on the streets and just when does this change when how how does this happen when somebody theoretically does everything you know in inverted commas right and something you know so horribly awful can still take place and I think it it really does um it hammers home again how far we are from how you know from where we all want to be as a society um i think that i think that for me personally it's there is a combination of of looking at it and under, and thinking about it as a as a kind of i guess systems problem looking at all these different aspects thinking about um you know the work that is done in schools how how are we approaching that Actually, again, some, uh, on a tangent, my mum is actually a teacher and is very, very interested in this work in schools. She does a lot of work in primary schools. I'm actually from uh, the north of England, so it's quite a small um, primary school. But they're, they're amazing already in the conversations that she's now trying to bring into the classroom through literature, through text, um, is so different to anything we experience. And I think it's so exciting to see that. And I'm really hopeful that, you know, with the generations coming up, um, that there is going to be a, a kind of a much greater awareness of who we are, who are, like what our biases are and how we're interacting with others. Um, I think it really all starts from that point of awareness. And again, you know, I think the data that we're looking at at an industry level, the data that we're in com- encouraging companies to get at a company level, it's all really about how can we begin to look at this, like, see it for what it is and open up those conversations because I think only, only when we do that are we hopefully going to keep the progress moving forward? Because, yeah, otherwise we're, we're all just stuck where we are. But, I mean, massive long-term challenges and change still. Um, yeah, the, to look at, you know, you need the kind of 50-year vision, but you also just need to see something tomorrow because otherwise it, it is easy to overwhelmed to just go, oh, my gosh, I can't win this on a short-term goal. So, I'll just kind of park it for now. And actually, I think that's a really dangerous kind of mentality. So, yeah, keeping that as that kind of momentum is key. I mean, it's a question just for, for Rosie, which um, I can bring up later, which is, you know, I think having that awareness um, is really, really important. And I think I've recently been doing a, a bit of research and a study on something else. And in creating the questions that I wanted to understand about others, it actually made me really look at my own experience and actually the small things that are kind of happening throughout my day that actually paint this bigger picture. 
And I wonder if, you know, through the data that you're collecting, the mere asking those questions and asking, you know, teams to engage with those questions actually perhaps forces you to look at your own situation. So the really small things that on a, on a day-to-day basis, you just accept them as they are, you know, and, and I think that that forced or encouraged, not forced, encouraged reflection is something that's, that's really, really key to kind of bringing awareness across businesses rather than just the appointed person to kind of look at diversity and inclusion. Do you say, would you say that you find that whilst you're carrying out your questionnaires and conversations? Yeah, definitely. I think um, it's a great point, actually, because one thing we've had to kind of grapple with is and it has it has moved a long way, but is what is the kind of shared language around some of these behaviours? So we often use the term kind of microaggressions, um, microaffirmations, looking a lot of these small kind of they can be subtle, they can well they can be quite but but everyday commonplace behaviours, comments, actions that are um, you know, hostile to a specific individual group. But there's often um whilst when you start to give examples, so for example, it might be when you're the again uh, the only woman in the room and you're always asked to make the tea or take notes or it could be somebody questioning no but really where are you from because they can't accept that you were actually born and bred and partly um you know these kind of subtle um points that really um we're all experiencing day in day out but a lot of people like you say they're just so much part of our day to day that you're not necessarily conscious of them um, and so when we're working with a company, we often do a little bit of work up front, which is really around developing a shared language around what these behaviours are. Um, because actually you're right, when you, you then start to have a language to talk about them with others, you start to be able to reflect on them, see those moments in your own day and feel validated that it was a real, it was a real thing and it, it's okay that you had a response to it. Because I think that's something else we often see is, um, because there's often this ambiguity as to whether it was, you know, maybe somebody didn't intend to cause any harm or maybe you were being too sensitive. Or these are often questions um, that we see people kind of grappling with as they try to process what, what happened and why do I feel this way about it. Also, it's often cumulative, right? So you might have quite a strong emotional response to one specific incident, but it might be because it's the 50th time that it's happened this month. So, you know, it's already disappeared in the blur of your busy work. Um, so yeah, kind of encouraging people to be able to reflect on those own, those own like um, encouraging people to reflect on those specific instances um, and and kind of own those, but also really helping workplaces to begin to spot where they might be happening elsewhere, so that people can be more affected by standards, um, and also just open up those conversations internally is is definitely like a critical piece around us. Yeah, completely agree. Yeah, and also, you know, just to add to that, I think B and I mentioned this uh, off air uh, when we first had a bit of a chat about this. Um, it's about normalising the policies and procedures mm. because a lot of the time, you know, if certainly from my experiences in the past, you know, you, you, you join a business, you read through all of the, you know, anti-bullying, acceptable behaviours, policy, 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 policy. Um, but do you actually take it in? Do, does that change the way you behave? Does that influence the way you behave? Probably not. And it's only when it becomes a problem. I think, B, you actually raised this. So I'm not going to take credit for it. But it's only when it becomes a problem, you then go back to those policies and procedures and you look at what 
is deemed to be correct and what isn't correct and then the process you then have to follow at what point do these policies and procedures become normal everyday practice so it doesn't have to get to the point of bad for it to become culturally acceptable culturally real i don't really know how to phrase it i mean what's the dream yeah i think um it's a great point we definitely around this whole topic we feel very strongly that um it's often left too late right it's allowed to become too big a problem we often see companies might have some kind of formal um, grievance procedure or whistleblowing tool, but the problem there is really by the time that most people access it, it's about kind of damage control. You know, an individual is always hurt, basically, and the resolution is rarely a win-win in that situation. Um, I guess right down at the other end of the spectrum, employees are often using uh, kind of engagement tools or surveys that the, the problem there, it can very much be a case of they're not happening very frequently or you're only getting an answer specific question. And I think what we're, we're kind of really interested in advocating for is how can you be listening more continuously so that you are able to do exactly that one kind of embed that policy, make it not just something that is actioned in a worst case scenario, but actually, you know, these smaller everyday behaviors become very important. Um, they kind of too critically spot where problems might be emerging before they become big problems. So, yeah, becoming far more preventative, um, far more proactive and a lot less kind of reactionary, which is the way that um, I think companies have typically had to manage this previously. And, and, yeah, kind of excited to see that shift because for me, that's the win. It's like it's when actually we can begin to have these conversations so much earlier that we stop some of the really painful things happening rather than just we get way better at managing it once it's happened that doesn't feel like the ultimate win from my perspective yeah agreed and it would be great if we eventually got to that point I mean Bea have you had any obviously we've talked about experiences in the past and you know perhaps some fairly negative uh, situations but have you kind of come across any really decent good practice that uh, that you could perhaps maybe share that others could take influence from what's worked really well for you yeah, that's a great question, and one that I'll probably, sadly, need to rack my brain a little bit deeper for than I would like, um, which I think is the illustration of exactly why this conversation is so, so important. Um, I have been in a business where, where there has, unfortunately, instances have been left too late, and whilst that was I think a deeply saddening experience for everybody involved. Um, it, it prompted the, the enthusiasm and motivation that perhaps should have been um, the attitude from from the start line. Um, I think again, I, I think Rosie, you raised a really interesting point about listening and encouraging conversation. Um, I've worked in places where we've had um, we've set up a, a kind of honesty box that's open and safe for all suggestions and really try to encourage um, kind of individuals to share their anecdotes and, and, and everything and, and we would um, kind of read them through and filter them and that might be something whereby it, it being in a largely male um, environment and, and recognising that you are the only person that walks in the office every day to be greeted by compliments but that fundamentally are about your appearance. And it's a really small, small aspect of, of your day. And, and at first, maybe it feels really great. 
And then all of a sudden you, you feel that sense of, I don't feel as respected as my colleagues because I'm glamorous. And they're just asked how their day is. And so as an example, we've, we've used that in the past and it's been really effective and then actually has altered, that's been delivered anonymously to the business as a whole as let's try and minimize these kind of comments, um, you know, in order to, you know, essentially fulfill a, a request that has been made. Um, and, I, and I think that's worked really well. And, and I think it's, it's probably a, a question for, for Rosie and for all of us is, is how we encourage that listening and that sharing and creating valid actions from that as to actually what is the very next step that, that we can take. You know, um, Rosie might have some great suggestions for, for Lockbox. Um, as, as to what we, we really can um, we can do as, as the next step. No, I think um, oh, that's actually it's an awesome example, and I think as a as a concept that's so similar to what we're achieving, I guess, within chorus at, at scale. Um, in terms of you know those those small, small very carefully actually, because they're not always small, but those moments whereby. Um, yeah, kind of behaviours that are causing individuals uh, upset, frustration, hurt, whatever it might be, um, can be surfaced. And really what we're doing is we're we're enabling an individual to anonymously flag an incident like that. Um, so you might be able to capture, you know, I'm frustrated that every day when I walk in the office, I receive comments on my appearance. And actually, whilst this might be intended as a compliment, I, it doesn't make me feel that. It makes me feel inferior uh, or, or, you know, or that I'm not taking it seriously. What we're looking to do is very much catch that catch that scale. So we're looking at the patterns and trends of these kinds of behaviours across different locations, different teams, different functions within a business to begin to see where there might be those kind of problematic areas. Um, and then for us, it really is a case of leaning into that data, looking to see what some of the kind of the key issues that emerge are. And I think almost coming back to our point before of like sometimes these problems can be so overwhelming where do you start i think we're really um keen on helping businesses to understand that broader context but also to zoom in on where can you start okay what are some of the most pressing issues that if you began to resolve it would be really powerful um and so we often find that our data will normally throw up maybe three issues it could be something just like that um and then really it's the case of the company um sometimes we work with them sometimes the company will look at it themselves to see what the next step might be and i think so often um particularly with smaller companies that awareness is enough and like you say actually just joining up the dots and having that conversation going to the managers going to line managers and saying you know what you probably have really positive intentions perhaps when this is being said or communicated but it's actually having this impact and sometimes it's literally as simple as clearing up that communication channel and that's hugely powerful then when you begin to realize that you know, some of the problems that we're surfacing or looking at surfacing um, don't require hundreds of thousands of pounds of L&D budget and expensive rollout. For it. Like, no, it can sometimes it's literally communication. Um, other times, you know, we do see problems emerging that might look uh, particularly troubling. There might be lots of um, behaviour comments that lead much more strongly towards kind of quite overt sexual harassment or um, kind of racial discrimination and then you know one thing that we're really seeing companies doing is rather than going and just rolling out 
some generic training course, taking their data and working with a consultant to say, okay, we've got a clearer understanding of what are what is going on within our company, what the challenges are, how can we work with you to design something that's very targeted to us and our challenges. And I think that's something that's quite exciting when we think about um, kind of diversity and inclusion, how it's approached, very much leaning into that kind of data-led uh, strategy, and also then to be able to track. And I guess this point's really key, how do you then measure over time to see whether that change that you made had a positive effect? Um, and that's something that, again, we're really excited and kind of encouraging companies to kind of look towards. Well, both, I've absolutely loved this chat today. Thank you so much for your time. And before I let you go, um, Rosie, if, if, if other fintech businesses, because I know you do a lot with Innovate Finance and they're great at the support that they give you um, to push this and the FCA as well. But h- how can other people get in touch or learn more about the charter specifically if they needed to? Definitely. So um, uh, the best place is probably to go to fintech.incorus.org. Um, and there's quite a bit of information there about how you can reach out, how you can join us as a signatory um, and upcoming kind of events and, and ways to get involved. We definitely love to, to connect with anyone. It's, I stress fintechs of all different shapes and sizes are welcome and actively encouraged. But um, yeah, KTB, huge thanks for this. It's been really fun. Thank you. And B, really appreciate your view on, on and you sharing your experiences today as well. So thank you both very much indeed. Thank you very much.